the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Morning, everybody. It is a Saturday morning. 52 will be the high today. 9 a.m. Saturday morning, 710 KNUS, the 25th morning of February, 2023. Tomorrow, 55 degrees. Monday, 50. Tuesday, 53. Ski day next week. 710 KNUS, always in the news these days, is what is taking place in Ukraine, United States, rolling all of this. It has all been done before. In a moment like this, there really is no one better. Please say good morning and welcome back home from Baylor University in Texas. Professor, and he's become a wonderful friend, David Smith, on a Saturday morning to take time to do this. It really means a lot. Professor, good morning. Thanks for coming back on the air. Good morning, Peter. How you doing, buddy? You know, really good. I always think, you know, I, I have nothing really to do anymore except go to the gym and read. And um, I'm in the middle Sounds of like a, a great life. It's not bad. I'm also getting picking up a new motorcycle this morning. The weather's going to be good enough Ooh. for me to pick it up and take it out for the first time. So and it goes and, nice. and ski and ski on Monday with my daughter. So it's not wow. it's not that bad. It's, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Um, I am I picked up a new book and it's called The Commanders and I, I just really started it yesterday. And a British historian. Um, comparing the lives of Rommel, um, Montgomery, and George Patton. Oh, wow. It's very good. That sounds like a really interesting idea for a book. It's a great book. And the similarities in, in, in those three men, and, of course, immense differences. But they were all three wounded badly in the First World War. I, I didn't know Rommel had been wounded. I didn't know that either. And in the legs. Interestingly huh. enough, uh, and um, and Rommel had been wounded, Montgomery had been wounded more than once, and uh, George Patton. And yeah. I'm, I'm as far in the book as, but you know they have to set the stage of their childhoods and their influences. And Patton's this California guy. Yeah, Rommel's Rommel's dad, and then um, and then Montgomery's father, and um, and Montgomery they. Montgomery goes into the and Montgomery's of the three of them. He's the one I know probably probably the least about. Yeah, but he's incredible. He's incredibly brave. All three of them are incredibly brave. Wow. Yeah, I would read that, and I would not be surprised to see the connections between them going back way into their youth. The similarities. Oh, and the striving, and somehow early on they know what they want to be, and they know what they want to do, and. Did- did they come from family? Did Montgomery and Rommel come from families that had deep military traditions like Patton did? No, but his his father uh, Montgomery's father was uh, was a was a Episcopal priest, a Episcopal excuse me, an Episcopalian Church of England, and yeah. ends up the Bishop of Tasmania because wow. of yeah because of the um, the imperial forces at the time, and he inherits. Um, a, a rotting uh, aristocracy, kind of a family of of, um, of wealth, a family of wealth that's now rotting away, and he's chosen the church. This is this is Montgomery's father, 
and he's really a hard worker. He rises quickly in the church, and a church appoints him to be the bishop of Tasmania. So part of his childhood, he spends in Tasmania and um, returns and chooses the military and goes. um, And in the tradition, which I didn't realize, if you're going to be an officer, then you have to be an enlisted man for a whole year, which in and of itself. And so Montgomery goes through all of that. Yeah. And they um, and the First World War is looming. Patton, we know about going into Mexico. And I didn't realize the car was a Dodge. They had a Dodge. <laughs> and it was, it, it was Pershing's Dodge. And he, he ties the, uh, the dead Mexicans on the hood of the car and drives them <laughs> On the hood of the car like deers. Yeah, absolutely. Look like they're deers, like he's been deer hunting. And, uh, but unbelievably brave. George Patton is unbelievably brave. Yeah, yeah. He, he had this sense that he was going to when it was his time, and he couldn't do anything about it, so you might as well be brave when you need to. Yeah, and he said there's a there's moment when they're going to go, and it's really, I've read it before in another book on the uh, bonus army, but this guy who saves him, and he makes the comment to his, um, he has an aide who's an enlisted aide, and his name is, is Angola, Joe Angola, an Italian guy, and he said it's time for another patent to die, because the patents, are, yeah. The, yeah, those patents are all died. That. yeah. And it's in, and, and so he, the the guy knocks him off the tank and knocks him into a shell hole, and about two hours before that, Pat he hit his first GI. So hitting GIs wasn't anything that was new, and he hit yeah. a, he hit a guy in the head with a with a with a shovel. Yeah. Because they wouldn't move. Yeah, because they wouldn't move, and then he he knocks and this guy knocks him off the top of the tank into a shell hole and holds him. Jump ahead in time. They have to burn out the the bonus army, and it's Eisenhower, of course, and Douglas MacArthur, and they have Patton as an aide. And the guy sees George Patton, and he had saved yeah. he had saved Patton's life life in Belgium, and and Patton blew him off. Yeah, yeah, wow. It's it's, it's a tough story. Oh, but he says he goes and he calls him captain because he was a captain, mm-hmm. and he sees him and he knows he he saved his life. And George Patton blows him off. But um, as far as the three of them have been terribly wounded, and, yeah. and, and they all go back. And, and Montgomery can go home but chooses not to, wants to get back into it. And, and you know, it's like, but it's called the commanders and why they're alike and why they were, why they were how good they were. Wow. That sounds like a great book. It's a wonderful book. And finally finished G-Man about, uh, about J. Edgar Hoover. Here's another one of those quirks, and this is why I love talking to you. Another one of those quirks is they, they have the, uh, the saboteurs that have come ashore, and um, they, the guy actually literally turns himself in, and then he turns in all the other guys, and Hoover takes all the credit for that. And then, yeah. it, then it comes time, but what are we going to do with them? And um, this is one of those FDR moments. They said, they said, you know, execute them, and they did. Wow. They executed, and the, and the saboteurs got ashore, and and two of them, three of them, were were born in this country and had been repatriated back to Germany. And then they come here and they come ashore with with weaponry. Actually, they come with explosives and they're going to blow stuff up. Yeah. And the one guy gets cold feet and he turns himself in. 
Huh. And they killed. And they they they, um, they executed all three of them, or um, all seven, wow. all seven of them. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Monday morning, I'm going to put a new book for you to read into the mail because I got advanced copies <sighs> of my George Dewey biography. Done. And I'm hopeful it'll get to you by maybe Thursday or Friday next week. We'll get you on the air. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, I'm excited for you to read it. I can't wait to know what you think about it. Now, moving to the world we're in today, our guest, yeah. the one and only Professor David Smith. Um, all I can think of is Barbara Tuckman's March to Folly, uh, Guns of August. And I'm watching this stuff. And we've done all of this before. I was talking to a friend that I respect not as much as I do you as a historian, but he's a pretty good, pretty good amateur historian. I said, when was the last time German tanks were in the Ukraine? <laughs> Truly. Yeah, we, haven't heard of, we haven't heard about German tanks being on the move for quite a while. No. It, it, the, the, these, um, Tuckman talked about things called tripwire wars. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I'll turn it over to you, Professor. What are we watching happen? Well, there's there's sort of two ways that you can look at this situation. And I, I kind of go back and forth, but I lean toward one in particular. The one way you can see it is sort of a tripwire war. You know, you're seeing in Ukraine the same sort of dynamics that you saw in the Balkans before mm-hmm. World War One. Yes. Right. And these these smaller smaller level territorial rivalries and things like that will eventually sort of explode into a general war and pull all the great powers in. That's certainly one way to look at it. And there's, there's, you know, there's a pretty good framework that you can see it. And the other way to look at it is to say, this is a war of containment between one great power and then a coalition of great powers that are worried about the expansion of the first great power. And that's what I'm seeing more at this point. You know, this is why I'm not thinking that the United States is going to send troops anytime soon, because what you're trying to do here, if you're the West, if you're NATO, you're trying to fight a war of containment in which all you have to do is keep the one aggressor sort of boxed in. And this is the same sort of thing that, uh, well, Russia and Soviet Union and China fought against the United States in Vietnam, right? Oh, absolutely. In Korea, so from their point of view, the war in Vietnam was a war to contain the United States. You know, we were seeing it the opposite mm-hmm. way. But uh, I see in Ukraine sort of this one lone great power, Russia, and against that great power is an array of other great powers just wanting to contain it from expanding. Then that's. That's where I am. I'm not looking at this as a tripwire toward a great power confrontation yet, but that's I'm seeing we, containment play out. When when George Bush and Dick Cheney do what they did in Iraq, yeah. Putin just sat down and watched. What is exactly. the what is the difference between what Bush and Cheney did to the innocent people in Iraq and what Putin is now doing to the people in Ukraine? Well, one of the probably the most clear geostrategic differences is that Ukraine is a neighbor of Russia and Iraq was on the other side of the world from okay. the United States. And and what you're seeing Russia try to do is absorb territory. And the United States, because it wasn't a neighbor of, of Iraq, really couldn't absorb territory. I mean, it could exercise influence and it did. 
but it couldn't absorb territory in the same way that Russia wants to absorb Ukraine. That's the difference. Or is it is it that Cuban Missile Crisis mindset? I told you I didn't want these missiles here. Um, and is is Putin looking at this as Jack Kennedy looked at Cuba when the old Soviets show up with rockets? And he said, I told you. Yeah. I mean, you, you, can, you can certainly see from Putin's point of view that he had made the warnings clear that he wouldn't tolerate Ukraine aligned with the West. But, I mean, at the same time, this is an, we're living in an era, presumably, of sovereign states that can line up any way they want to. Tell that to Saddam. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, we're both Barbara Tuckman fans. Mm-hmm, and, we are. Oh, I mean, and her march to folly. And I think it was from Troy to Vietnam because she was really writing extensively about Vietnam. Uh-huh. And she makes that, that this, the, you know, the, the failure. And remember, she talks about the Protestant Reformation and George III in the United States and how that, and then the conflict in Southeast Asia. More, m- most of the book deals, of course, with Southeast Asia. And she throws the other case studies in to make the case of how right. how nations or countries march to folly. Mm-hmm. Are we? Sure. You know, I I said this, and I really wanted to bounce it off you. The moment that Joe Biden says there's a no fly zone, which I think he's totally capable of doing, and that's one of the things that they did to Saddam. They threw a no fly. If they throw a no fly, then what? I I don't know. That's a good, that's a good. Uh... A good question, right? Uh, it, it's hard to imagine how a no-fly zone would work. I don't, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know what the level of Russian air power cover is in uh, Ukraine right now. I don't know if the Russians are even overflying Ukraine with anything but drones and missiles. That's what I'm saying. But watch, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm such a, a skeptic and so afraid of these people. And I'm deeply involved in reading the lead up to the invasion of Iraq. Just a series. That was, I mean, if Tuckman came true, the March of Folly, it was, they were lying and then believe they were telling their lies and believing their own lies. Yeah. It doesn't get any more folly than that. No. I mean, and then I I actually um, had a chance to the, the book called bright shining lie, Neil Sheehan. And I met Sheehan. Neil Sheehan. Yeah. Yeah. I met Sheehan. And, that was the same thing. It was a series of lies, and Sheehan called them bright, shining lies. Right. And I'm with Lyndon Johnson. I mean, it's, it's, this, it's this capability that we have of fooling ourselves into seeing what we want to see rather than what's really there. Bingo. And, you know, I, I think that that was on full display in the run-up to the Iraq War. And, and I think that, you know... I think Putin is experiencing that now that he saw Ukraine in a way that, you know, George Bush saw Iraq, right? This is, this is something that we can, because we're a great power, we can shape this fight the way we want to and have as little of it or as much of it as possible. And then it instant, you know, you believe that and then it instantly gets out of your hands because you didn't see the truth. So who's Putin? Pardon? Who is Putin? In this, uh, in this, Putin is LBJ. Putin is George oh, okay. W. Bush, okay. right? All right. He's 
he he looked at a situation that he convinced himself was one way and winnable, and it's not. And can't be. I remember when the stories were coming out of Russian troops massing on the border a year ago, right? And I remember thinking, there's no way he can do what he wants to do just simply because there's he doesn't have enough troops. You can't occupy a hostile no. territory. We learned this in Vietnam, sure. right? Learned it in Iraq. You can't, host- yeah. you can't ho- occupy a hostile territory and, and put down an insurrection with 150,000 troops. I was telling somebody, the Ukrainians... The, the relationship between a Moscow government, whether it's the Romanovs or the Bolsheviks and the yeah. Ukrainians, has always, it's never been, never been good. And, and Khrushchev, no. they, Khrushchev remembers when they talked about purging the kulaks. And then when, when the German army invades, they're welcomed as heroes. Exactly. Tell they that were. story. Tell that story. Well, I mean, the Soviet Union had dominated Ukraine since 1922. You know, it had occupied it and annexed it, basically. And it, it was nominally independent as the Ukrainian Socialist Republic, right? But the Soviets controlled it with an iron fist. And when the, the, the Germans ran into Ukraine on their way to, well, I mean, they were invading the Soviet Union then. The Ukrainian, you know, nationalist Ukrainians saw them as liberators, mm-hmm. that they're going to drive the Soviets out, they're going to drive the Russians out, and then we'll have Ukraine for Ukrainians again, and it didn't work out that way. But also Ukrainians then joined. There was a Ukrainian SS division. Ukrainians pointed out to the Germans where the Jews were hiding. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible history. It is a horrible history, and it's a it's a history that was seen by the Ukrainians as one that at that time was dominated by the Soviets, and they wanted the Soviets out, and the German army had arrived, and they worked with the German army. Yeah. Certainly not to their credit. And then even in the end, or at least from my reading, so they push back through the other way, and Ukrainians then fight Soviets. And there are Historians I've read that said that war lasted until 46, early 47, where Ukrainians are fighting the Red Army, not wanting them to come back into Ukraine. Right. I mean, it's it sort of reminds you of that chaotic period after the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk yeah. when Russia left World War One, And then you had this explosion of fighting in Eastern Europe as Poland, as Ukrainians. They all tried to sort of solidify their countries under the name of national self-determination. Mm-hmm. And then the, the Russian Civil War sort of spilled back into mm-hmm. Eastern Europe, and that was it for those countries. Professor, can you stay through a pause, and I'll do a turnaround and come right back? Absolutely. I'll get a refill on my coffee. The one and only Professor David Smith from Baylor University, Robert Spencer. And then for some reason, there have been these wonderful, wonderful radio books. And this book is entitled FM, The Rise and Fall of Rock Radio, Richard Neer. And we went through Mark and Brian's show, the book, Don't Bump the Record Kid, and that was just, that was wonderful. This is the companion, but it's the East Coast New York FM Wars. And we're going to get him on for an hour and a half, and then we'll put him on the shoot. Danny Kaplis' law firm, I was texting Danny this week, he believed the only attorney in Colorado history to win five straight multi-million dollar jury verdicts in motor vehicle crash cases. This is a good man and a good friend, and highly successful firm, great lineup, including all these former deputy DAs who now use their tremendous courtroom experiences helping survivors of serious crashes. Danny believes, talks cheap, experience counts, results matter, 
The firm would be happy to share with you its track record. If you have a question, they have an answer. Pick up the phone, call 303-907-5003. My family went through something that Danny was right there. I can't tell you how, how strong he was and what the firm believes, and it's all true. It's Capless Law, C-A-P-L-I-S, CaplessLaw.com, 303-907-5003, 303-907-5003. Bob Dylan. Well said. 710 KNUS Denver's talk station, 24 after the hour of 9. 52 will be the high today. It's a Saturday morning. Peter Boyles along with Professor David Smith, Robert Spencer is coming up, and then The Rise and Fall of Rock Radio. And it's a great book. 710, when things break and don't go right, is Brad Apple, Time Plumbing, Heating, and Electric for all your service needs. The best, easy-to-remember number for all your needs, 303-PLUMBER. Denver natives Brad and Judy Apple own Time Plumbing, Heating, and Electric, licensed since 1983. These are great friends. If, you're, if your furnace is getting old, we're talking about this, this ad yesterday because it really makes sense. It's not cleaning like it used to. It's not heating like it used to. You know things are dirty inside. Time Plumbing, Heating, and Electric will clean and service your furniture, your furniture, your furnace, for only $69. It's normal, 120 bucks. So if your furnace is getting old and not heating like it used to, Time Plumbing, Heating, and Electric has a blowout special on furnace replacements this month. $2,000 off. Listen to this. $2,000 off the standard pricing for ream or carrier furnace replacements. They recycle your old furnace. They take it and they remove it. They offer financing starting at only 62 bucks a month. New furnace and your old one gets recycled. Simply dial. Easy to remember number 303 Plumber and mention Peter Boyle's Furnace Special. Get two grand off. It's a furnace replacement for this month. Remember the number 303 Plumber, 303 Plumber, 303 Plumber. The one, the only, Professor David Smith from Baylor University. He's been a go-to for our morning show for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. He's brilliant. We're talking about the history and the March of Folly, Barbara Tuckman's The Guns of August, Bright Shining Lie. Here's, here's one, too. I, I'm a great believer in the military-industrial complex tied to U.S. foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of money's been made, and now we have this moment where how much money is being made, and I get to read about the armaments industry and the multinational arms dealers they're making tremendous amounts of money. What what are we to yeah. do? To, what are we doing with that? You know, it's 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 hard because the economic system we have, we have you know private corporations making armaments for the country, and the United States and every country needs armaments. They need you know weapons and stuff like that. And if you set it up so that private companies are making these things, they're going to make bank on it, right? They're going to make enormous amounts of money in times of war, in times of build up to war. And I mean, the military industrial complex that Eisenhower, you know, really sort of spotted, it's, it's a real thing. Yes. And it's a, it's a product of our economic system. You know, when they went through this fiasco at the end of Afghanistan and weapons were left behind, and I said, I'll tell you what, the guys who made them are very happy because they're going to sell new. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you read the history of arms sales in Africa or what, what you know, the arms of Krupp, Manchester's wonderful book about the Krupps. Oh, what a good book. Oh, it's the best. How much money did the Krupps make between World War One, World War, Franco-Prussian War? They're making money then. Yeah. It's just, I mean, armaments are expensive. They always have been. 
right? You know, we've we've had armories in the United States, the Springfield Armory, you know, oh, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just the problem is, you know, the the problem is when you have the arms industry wielding political influence. Oh, that's yeah. where the problem really well, gets to be. That's the role, and that's what you've, that's what that's what you've got to guard against. And that's the role of the multinational. Um, yeah, I think looking back on the great Chinese balloon fiasco. One of the things that's one of the, seriously one of the things. Well, we we know about Pulitzer, we know about Hearst, we know about creating wars with the media, right? And talk radio has just become a scare factory, and Fox News that whole the whole balloon thing was, I mean, every every second of every moment they're on the balloon, and it, it was like Hearst in the eighteen nineties. Tell the story. Know? Tell the story. Well, you know, you've got this. Uh, You've got this awareness in this uh, fierce competition between newspapers in New York City that sensationalism sells, that war sells, that tension sells. People like to watch other people fight. Huh. And and you, you had William Randolph Hearst sort of stumble into this realization that uh, if you can whip the American people into a war frenzy out of righteous indignation, you can push the country closer to war, sure. and that will be better for your profits. Picked up on much later by Joseph Goebbels. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You can mm-hmm. manipulate the public view and then make the public do whatever you want. In the case of Goebbels, they owned the media. They owned the radio. They did away, <laughs> they did away with other newspapers. I said when you start, yeah. to, or start to read about the first people to be rounded up, uh, they rounded up newspaper editors, heads of unions, those are the men and women, actually principally men, those are the men who went first, that they had to get rid of the heads of the labor unions and they had to get the publishers and newspapers and imprison them. Right. You know, you talk about the, uh, the, uh, an example of how important free press is and how important labor unions are. Those <laughs> are the ones that the Nazis went after first. Absolutely. And now look at this whole fiasco out of Fox where they, they know, they know the truth. Yeah, and they and they won't deal with it. It's it's just shameful. I mean, uh, the the word shame is rapidly losing huh. its its power in American society. I agree with you, but uh, it's just it's just so wrong. But Tuckman, when she does Guns of August, which is this Pulitzer about the outbreak of the First World War, and it, I'm thinking about her as I'm reading this book, The Commanders, about these three incredible men on the same time period when they're really young men. And how they generate hate. I mean, yeah. the, the, the Germans, I've read many, many examples and cases and books. If you were a working man in Europe, you were much better off in Kaiser Bill's Germany for, for being able to form a union. Kindergarten is a German word. If you're a woman, as a matter of fact, if you were Jewish, you know, Vienna was not a bad place to be. Neither was Berlin. It was right. a hell, hell of a lot better than being in Paris. Yeah. How did they do that, Professor? You know, I was just, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about, you know, how you, how, how politicians can channel public hatred against groups for their own power, right? You know, it's, it's not, that's, that's what it is. You had all these, you had labor unions, you had a press, you had, like you were saying, it was safe to be Jewish, but, uh, 
the, the, what the Nazis figured out is what a lot of people today know, that you get the public to hate certain groups mm-hmm. in society, and you get power because of that. And Ship of Fools, when it's Catherine Ann Porter, I think, right, right Ship of Fools, and that Jewish merchant who had received the Iron Cross in the First World War, fighting mm-hmm. for the Kaiser. He's nice. I'm, no. You know, and they're going back to Hamburg on the boat. He said, they're not going to do anything to me. I fought for the Kaiser. I have the Iron Cross. And, of course, he disappears. Yeah. Never see him again. Yeah, it, it's the, the power of a complicit media in painting a picture of detested classes of society is how you get Nazism. Our guest, the one and only, and he is my friend, Professor David Smith from Baylor University. So come back to Tuckman's March of Folly. And uh-huh. are we seeing that? I mean, because I... Again, I'm seeing. I, I think I'm seeing it again. I'm seeing Joe Biden, who I have little, if any, respect for his abilities. Is he getting had? Or are we getting had by these people? Um, but, well, first of all, by whom? Well, simply by the people who will profit from all of this, who want this to happen. Um, yeah. And you know, right away, Putin. I read a headline the other day where Putin and going back to Joe Stalin. Putin's going to want to move the Polish border back. And then Putin throws out any nuclear um, agreements between the U.S. and old Soviets, and including new Russians. I think some of that happened under Gorbachev and and, uh, Reagan. And so, man. I was was reading in uh, Foreign Affairs this morning about that, about Putin, uh, you know, pulling out of that arms agreement. And the writer of this article basically said that he wasn't obeying it anyway. I mean, he wasn't living up to his standards anyway. So pulling out of that arms agreement was really more for domestic Russian consumption than it was to to intimidate the West, because the West already knew that he wasn't living up to those deals anyway. But uh, are we getting played? I Hmm. Well, I mean, it's two things can be true at once, right? Yeah. We could be getting played. But the West needs to draw this line, and and it's it's the case that in in the in the in the international order that we have now, you you can't let powers arbitrarily redraw borders because they want to, because the system that we have basically since forty five doesn't work that way. But that's not to say that arms dealers don't want to use this for their own profit. Well. So people people can be getting played, and the the choices that are being made politically can be the right ones at the same time. Tuckman, that's ma- what makes this so hard. Oh, well, you know, now there's American military in Poland, and mm-hmm. now there's this, and now there's that, and yeah. you know, and, and remembering Tuckman again when Tuckman talks about how the Renaissance popes misjudged the moment of Protestant Reformation. They didn't see it. They couldn't see it. Right, they had no idea what no, they were dealing with. They had with. no idea what they were dealing with. Or the British ruling class about the American colonies. They had no yeah. idea. Yeah, they, they were clueless about the situation on the ground with the American character. I was just yeah. talking about this in my class this week. If you yeah. would, please. Oh, well, that uh, about that particular one, it was that George III and his ministers had no idea that the Americans had developed a certain set of ideas, a certain set of assumptions about the way the world works that was totally different from 
from what the from what the British imperial worldview was. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like how Putin misjudged the Ukrainian will for independence and self-image. George the Third completely misjudged the American self-image and will for independence. Yeah, and it's as a Irish history geek reader, the British mm. the British aristocracy, the British empire could not allow the Irish to go free. Not, Absolutely. Not because of the Irish, but because of the South Africans and the Indians and the Pakistanis and every place else that they had stomped the people down. And so the great, right. fear, the great fear was if Michael Collins succeeds, the South Africans are going next. And they had already gotten their lumps in the Boer War. I mean, I see yep. all this kind of stuff as I, as I get older and have more time to read smarter people like you, the clearer the picture comes because – and I'm, there's new stuff I'm reading about. I'm a huge Michael Collins fan. And yeah, they knew. Totally. They knew if Michael Collins could succeed. And it's, it's Winston Churchill, by the way, and it's a lot of other people. And mm-hmm. they know that if these if they can let these mix go, it isn't about Ireland. It's about South Africa. And it's about India. And it's about Pakistan. And it's, oh, my God. And the empire. One of, one of George III's closest ministers basically said to George III, if we let the colonies go, or if the colonies win their independence, we will cease to exist as an empire. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And so, and I guess you're reading Tuckman, and then again, the Renaissance popes who so badly misjudge yeah. um, Luther and the Reformation. And <sighs> do, you, do you think March of Folly or Guns of August is her best book? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love her. Um, Guns of August, I love. Yeah. Um, March of Folly, I think, because how contemporary it was. But she's in, in Guns of August. She's talking about First World War, the outbreak of the First right. World War, and in the eighties, uh, she writes, uh, and it's uh, it's subtitle I think is from Troy to Vietnam. I wrote it. A, wrote, it I read it a couple times. Yeah. yeah. Was, was that her last book? In a distant mirror. And that's right. I forgot and the that. one that I thought, and again, watching all this idiocy about the man-made plague and the lies that are being told. But that, remember, it's it, the Black Death. That's in a distant mirror. And she makes this case. And it's been a long time since I read it. But, you know, when the British knights come to Normandy, it's the Holocaust. They're killing everybody. Oh. And then with it comes the death. The death comes. And especially as, and there are the fools that uh, say things on radio and on television on the internet but i'm watching now watching the chicken the the bird flu kill all the all the chickens in this country and i'm wondering where the first guy's going to go on radio and say the chinese created that yeah and and you we wonder why eggs are so expensive (laughs) but she also you know remember she talks about all of these things i mean she's absolutely brilliant and Mm -hmm. by the time she's talking about johnson and she's talking about what they're doing, then she starts comparing it to these other follies, and it's all real. And so I, it's I'm, all real. And I'm so I'm so drip, driven by it, so I'm so imaged by it that I can't help but think, Professor, are we doing it one more time? Yeah, I mean, history can offer you examples. History can offer you a guide, but history can't predict the future with a hundred percent accuracy. And I mean, I think. I think we're being, it may not seem like it is, but I think we're being cautious. I think we're being strategic. 
I don't think it's folly of a Vietnam level yet, it, although I think you would say that Putin is the one that's marching to folly. Oh, listen, <laughs> no, but nobody's got, what does she point out when she talks about, she had one of the great lines, one of the great terms, she called it practicing history. And I mm-hmm. love it. I mean, that one impacted me heavily when I read that. I got to start using that in class more. Practicing history. She did it. I, I don't know. I don't know when she read it, but and it's the probably one of the least known works that she did. And but she takes this view of the human condition, and she said, "Look, we're yeah. going to do it again. We're going to do it again. We're we're doing it again." And of course, I think she died in the late eighties, so she didn't see she didn't see Cheney and Bush in action. Right. But my last question to you is, when Bush and Cheney do what they did in, in, in Iraq, mm-hmm. Putin did nothing. He didn't start arming the Iraqi. The, the, so, and they weren't insurgents. These are people who lived in the neighborhoods. But he didn't get involved in that. Yeah. Why? In, just, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, well, I mean, you remember that Iraq had Russian tanks. I mean, the, the Russian army had been supported. I mean, but the they, Iraqi they, they gave those army. to, they, they, they sold those to uh, Saddam. They, they weren't giving those to uh, the people that George Bush called insurgents. That would mean, you know, they grew, oh, up, in, yeah, they grew up in the neighborhood. That, all that stuff was, that was, you know, Soviets sold it to them and, and the Americans sold it to them. I, I, I was at, saw the end of the war in the Gulf. And there was all kinds of military. There was, they were when they, when they were running north on the road to Basra. There were British armored yeah. cars and Soviet old Soviet tanks, and there was American yeah. military trucks, and you know they the arms dealers just sold that stuff to Saddam. Well, you know, I think that Putin watching the war in Iraq would have said to himself that what they're doing is undermining the international order yeah. that they say that they want to protect. Right, I agree. And with it, when the international order gets undermined, it's to Putin's advantage because that's what he wants to he, – he wants to do that later. And if the Americans are going to do it for him, have at it. Yeah. When you're – what is it the – when you don't try and help, when your enemy is destroying itself, don't try to help. Yeah, just, when your enemy's making a mistake, don't try to help. Just sit and watch. <laughs> I miss yeah. you. I'll wait for the book and give me a chance yeah, to read I'll, it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pull it off. Man, it'd be I, – I, Sounds great, man. It's so good to talk I to you. I miss you, Professor. I truly do. I miss you too, buddy. Be safe, sir. Talk to you. Thank you, you Professor David Smith. Talk. Thank you. All right. Um, Robert Spencer from Jihad Watch will come with us, and we'll talk about his take on all of this. And then, I don't know, things just fell in my lap. Um, that we, came, we got this book sent to us called Don't Bump the Record, Kid. And it's the memoir of, um, and it's, again, Mark Thompson for 20, I think they did like 26 years of the Mark and Brian show. And he talked about it, and it was a home run. He came on our YouTube show, and he did the radio show. So there's a book out now, and although I think it's a little, it's a little dated, it's okay. It's called FM, The Rise and Fall of Rock Radio. And I was talking to my boss, Brian Taylor, yesterday. These are like companion books. And this guy, I can't wait for this one. So we got that coming up next. So... Hi, my friend, David Ellis. You've heard me talk about the man's work in this morning, taking your valuables to David Ellis Jewelers to get a, a, a fortune in cash and to secure an appraisal from David for all your valuables you have tucked away in your home. It's still true. Share the same reasons to see my friend David. I saw him yesterday, in fact. Just in case you don't have a Rolex watch, rare coins, or 
a silver tea set. Go see David for all the most meaningful gift-giving occasions. Uh, if you missed Valentine's, go back. David David has just all the right. He, I'm looking for um, like those um, really cheap rubber watches. The new motorcycle. I got to pick up my new motorcycle this morning. It doesn't have a doesn't have a uh, clock on it. You know, it's like it's a, it's a road king for those. What, what do you got? I got a road king, and uh, so I, I want to get a like one of those. They're not. I call them divers watches. Cheap rubber watches. David said, "I'll find you one," and so you can look up on your right hand, see what time it is. An antique watch, an emerald, emerald pennant, a, a gold necklace, a diamond ring. This trusted jeweler's been buying precious metals and antiques in Colorado for forever. Longtime friend, the best guy. David Ellis, jeweler, say for yourself, look for the black awning on the corner of 3rd and Clayton and Cherry Creek six days a week. My man is there right now. DavidEllisJewelry.com. Call my friend David Ellis, 303-322-8779, 303-322-8779, and tell David Peter Boyle sent you. The Beatles, good morning, everyone. 948, 12 before the hour, 710 KNUS. It's a Saturday morning, sunny and mild, 52, 55 tomorrow. 710 KNUS, 303 696 1971. We'll go to the phones. Hey, Don, you're on a radio show. Good morning. It's a Saturday. What a home run David Smith is. It's remarkable. God, this guy is such a wealth yeah. of no, he's great. smart and knowledge. So thanks for having no. him on. Hey, did you, um, side note, Richard Belzer died this week? Yeah, I did see that. So, yeah. daughter called and told yeah. me. He's kind of, yeah. kind of like that guy. He's an interesting individual. So I'm pretty weak on World War One in general. And I looked up this Barbara Tuckman. Hmm? Would you read those two books? Which ones would you read first? I'd read the them guns. all. I'd read them all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'll end up doing that. Yeah, boy, no, I'll read, start with. I mean, start. I, I don't want to tell anybody how to start and read somebody, but I'm asking. Yeah, Guns of August sets the stage, and when she does March to Folly, um, March to Folly, uh, the events of March to Folly, she like does examples, and it's been at least ten years since I read her. So please, with apologies, but it's. Um, I think she had the Trojan War, um, Renaissance popes, uh, George III not understanding the American colonist, and of course Nixon, Johnson, the conflict in Vietnam, and so she calls it, it's a march to folly. And had she lived, I, I just downloaded both of those. Yeah, they're, they're wonderful. I mean, she is, she's absolutely. But then there's a there's a she had a sleeper. And it's it's called in a distant mirror, and it's. I saw real, that. I didn't download it. Well, okay, it but but it, it's about um, you know the, the uh, British knights and coming ashore in Normandy, but it's the Black Plague, and that's of course when they started killing things. It's like it's so it's I mean it is so repetitive to the crazy crap that's said about the the Corona, but nothing yeah. nothing nothing is new. Everything comes back. I finally got that stuff right before Christmas yeah, COVID. I had it. And then months later, yeah. I felt like crap again. I got the influenza, sure. so hopefully yeah. I'm good for another well, week. Well, you know, and then now we have now we have the bird flu, and if that jumps across, and um, what what are you seeing on that? I, I, you're the first person to mention that. Oh, read it. Kind of Just Google it. Google bird bird flu. They're doing stuff now. They're setting off bombs to make other birds fly away from domestic chickens and. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. So they in this country. Well, wait. Let's see who we can blame that on. <laughs> it's it's got to be somebody. China. Hi, man. Yeah, of course. It seems convenient. George Bush. China. Yeah, of course. Jamie. You'll find somebody. Why not? 
Have Hi. a great Saturday. Hi, man. You too. 303-696-1971. Spencer coming up. And then this book. This book is just, it's called, it's called FM, the, the Rise and Fall of Rock Radio. Uh, we're going skiing on money, my daughter and I. Ski season is in full swing. The snow in Winter Park is, it's hero snow. And it's time to visit Larson Ski and Sport. Come to the end of the year, and you've been on the old gear and say, man, you know, this could change, that could change. All the new gear for the season's ready to get out there and have some fun. Take it from me. If you need any ski or snowboard gear, go to Larson Ski and Sport. Really are the best. John Marriott, Paul, seven days a week, looking for a day or season rental. Larson still has some rentals available, but you can get the new stuff. They call it running demos. Here we come now. So much great snow. You're not going to tear your skis up. So if you're looking for new ski boots and there's some new technology, Larson says the best fitting process in Colorado. The guys at Larson's will take their time to get to know you and your family, match you with all the right brands, enjoy your time on the hill. Larson's is so convenient. Stop on the way up the hill or on your way home. So you're westbound on I-70, get off on the Kipling exit, come down the ramp, make a left. There's a tunnel. Come right underneath I-70, then look to the right. You see the Crab Shack right next to it. It's a big wooden, wood, big wooden building, box building. That is Larson Ski and Sport. John and the guys at Larson's absolute experts at everything you need for winter sports, all kinds of different skis and snowboards. And we were, we, we ski do, 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 Tuesday this week. And I got on a, on a lift with a guy, and it's like he had an old bullet-nosed snowboard. And we sat and talked. And I said, man, I said, how old's that board? He said, board's 25 years. I went, wow. Larson Ski and Sports, out of I-70 on Kipling, 303 423 0654-423-0654-LarsonSport.com. We got Barbara, and we got about uh, about two minutes. Barbara, good morning. Tikanis, Peter. Hey, Tikanis, kala, kala. I just had a really weird uh, episode happen to me at where I eat my breakfast. Um, I'm flight attendant, past flight attendant, flew military mats, uh, retired, Department of Defense, I just had my breakfast paid for by three parties in the restaurant. Never, ever have I had that done. And it threw me for a loop. It's like, what the hell just happened? And um, you were talking about military. So whatever reason, I woke up today. I figured I needed to get to uh, eat my breakfast and enjoy it. And that was just what happened See? to me this morning. Every once in a while, right? Absolutely, and true. I said, praise God that it did. The it best. woke me up. What she was speaking was Greek to me, and growing up in a neighborhood I grew up in, I said, you could say nice things in Sicilian, you could say nice things in Italian, nice things in Polish, and nice things in Greek. And it did that because your friend's grandparents, grandmas, were great cooks. <laughs> and, that's oh. how, and that's how I learned uh, to say yakshimash and, you know, and all that stuff you learn because uh, my two of my best friends grew up, I grew up with, and I'm still in touch with one of them, That one of the ethnic kids. His grandparents lived with his mom and dad, and they didn't speak English, but his, his grandma was such a great cook. You, and, know, you know me, Peter. I know, from, you, I know who you are. I know your husband. I know your and husband. And you know, yeah. no, my husband is passed, but I know. you know me from the restaurant. I know, the of course. Restaurant, and with Beverly Martinez, I, way back. Beverly and I go back. I appreciate. Yeah. Thank you, darling. Be safe. Thank you, All right. Peter. On the other side, Robert Spencer has run Jihad Watch, and he is so critical of what's going on in terms of foreign policy. And then about halfway into the hour, we'll get Robert. By the way, uh, Alan Samuels coming on with us. And then we'll kick into this book. And I, 
I find things that I literally don't put down. And the, the hey, kid, don't bump the record. I just couldn't let it go. And FM, The Rise of Rock Radio. And this is a killer book. I'm reading uh, a, a new book on the Q, QAnon, too. Whoa, that's frightening. And this book, The Commander. So there's a lot of great things to read. So what do we got to do here, kid? Let's yank, let's yank the cord. We'll pull the pin. We'll come back with Robert Spencer. We'll do some time with Robert. And then we'll swing it back. And it's a sit back and listen. And it's all about New York FM radio and what happened. And I witnessed a lot of it here. I was t- talking to, again, uh, my boss, Brian Taylor, retiring yesterday. And the West Coast version of all of this is, hey, kid, don't bump the record. This is far more bitter and far tougher, what happened in New York. And they make the case, and they said, there's this guy that comes on the air, and he's spanking bare-bottomed lesbians on the air. And I think, he can't beat us, Howard Stern. And when you read the book, Hey Kid, Don't Bump the Record, the one thing universally they do is hate Howard Stern. But he talks about other, other people, too. And this is a brilliant book. It's entitled FM, The Rise and Fall of Rock Radio. So... Hang on your hats. We'll talk to the one and only Robert Spencer. Then we'll come back to this one. 710 KNUS. It is a Saturday morning. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.